Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Our gospel lesson comes from Luke chapter 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner? Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I can't tell you how many times I have heard the Zacchaeus story. It started in vacation Bible school as a child when I learned the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. I had the privilege of traveling to the Holy Land. While there, we drove through Jericho and passed a large sycamore tree in which they claim Zacchaeus actually climbed up. It was even the very first text I was assigned to preach as a 22-year-old in graduate school in my introduction to preaching class. They thought surely a young preacher could wrestle some good news out of this story. Because the Zacchaeus story is one that is rich with meaning. It has lots of vivid imagery. 
There's a powerful conversion narrative of a man whose life was radically changed when he encountered Jesus. When he changed his behavior, gave his money away, it's not only that his life was changed, but he was able to change the lives of everybody in his community. The story is a model of discipleship. There's a reason that it is a bedrock story of our faith, from our earliest learning as children to the lessons it keeps teaching us over and over again as we grow in age and in faith. There's so many meaningful spiritual directions to move with this text. But I have to tell you that for the first time reading this text just this past week, my overwhelming reaction was not one of powerful spiritual insight. It has simply been, I wish I could go to somebody's house to eat lunch or invite somebody into my house. And it doesn't need to be Jesus. Any warm body would do. Heck, I'd be thrilled to eat a meal somewhere other than my house. Am I right? My family of four eats our meals at our breakfast table. It seats four, it's near our kitchen, it's convenient and fine. In fact, we've turned our larger dining table into the first grade virtual schooling zone. Our first grader began this week. But we were able to do that because we're resigned to the fact that it's going to be a long time before we're able to share that large table and the pleasure of a shared meal with friends and family, church members. I have this kind of visceral longing when I hear this story in the midst of this pandemic to be at a table with others. That's always a longing, of course, and it is a core tenet of the Christian faith. Jesus is constantly eating with people. On the last night of his life, he gives us the sacrament of Holy Communion, a ritual meal that Christians engage in regularly. But in this time of the pandemic, the loss over these five months and for an unknown number of months to come, the sense of longing and loss hits hard. Even though I know that there will be an end to this, and the sacrifices that we make now are staving off death. I know intellectually I can eat three meals in my house so that a vulnerable neighbor doesn't die and also recognize what a privilege it is to have enough food to eat, a safe, stable place in which to eat it with my family. I know all of this, but it also doesn't mean that there aren't some real griefs that we are feeling and that we are experiencing now. And the loss of sharing a table with others, that's a big one. Because eating together is not just or only about the food. It is about what happens when we gather together. From having a friend over to breakfast, to church potluck meals, to a meetup at a restaurant with extended family. The joy, the love, the vulnerability, the connection, the peace that come with eating together, it's invaluable. And as people of faith, it is one of the places where we find most deeply the presence of Jesus. That's why over and over again, we find Jesus eating meals with people. It's not just because he was hungry or enjoyed good food, though it seems clear he was and he did. 
It's because he knows the power of what happens when we gather around a table. Just look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, called a great sinner. Jesus was always hanging out with sinners. The religious leaders like to grumble. But let's not let that title of sinner gloss over just how evil Zacchaeus's actions were. He worked for the Roman government, which oppressed the people, levying huge unfair taxes on everyone. Zacchaeus was defrauding people in his community out of money, and it meant that those people went hungry without housing, while Zacchaeus got richer and built himself a big old mansion. And it's a mansion that Jesus invites himself to for lunch. Now, Jesus is passing through Jericho where Zacchaeus lives. And we do know that Zacchaeus had some kind of hunger to see Jesus. Because as Jesus is passing through town and the crowd gets bigger and bigger, Zacchaeus actually climbs up in that tree so that he could get a glimpse of them. But what Zacchaeus didn't know was that, Jack, was that Jesus also had a hunger to see him, to really see Zacchaeus, to eat with him so that they could encounter one another. Out of nowhere, Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, get down from there. I am coming to your house today. Today, right now. I hope you have a fully stocked kitchen because we're going to eat lunch together. Can you imagine what started to unravel in that moment? First of all, the crowd's expectations of who Jesus, the Savior, is, that he would spend time with this sinner, this guy, this guy who exploits us. I also imagine that Zacchaeus' sense of who he is surely unraveled. He said, Jesus wants to eat with me. And as Jesus and Zacchaeus share their meal together, Zacchaeus's actions, his vocation, they all begin to unravel. And we don't know what they said, what they ate, exactly what happened around that table. But what we do know is that after the encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus stopped his exploitation of other people. But more than that, he returned the money to the people that he defrauded. And he didn't just return the same unfair amount that he took. He actually gave them back four times of what he had taken as an act of restitution, of reparation. It's an act of abundant generosity, expansive graciousness. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house today. And this salvation, it's not just for Zacchaeus alone. It's for his whole community because wrongs have been righted and those who are living in poverty have now been lifted out of it. It's salvation for Zacchaeus and everybody who lives in his community. Everything has unraveled. This time, it's unraveled for the good of all. I miss deeply encounters around a table. Now, not all of them are this life-changing for me and for others, but they are powerful. But here's some good news that we can wrestle out of this text. Friends, in 2020, in the midst of a pandemic, Jesus is in our homes. 
He looks for us, he sees us, and he invites himself in. And the good news is he doesn't wait for us to be perfect or our circumstances to be ideal, for us to get all of our stuff together before he shows up. If he sat down with Zacchaeus, surely he can sit down with us. So friends, take heart. When everything feels like it is unraveling, that's precisely when Jesus is most present. If you, like me these days, feel inadequate in just about every arena of your life, from work to parenting to just making it through each day, if you're paralyzed by questioning every decision from whether to run into this store to what is best for your kids and then you change your mind 50 times back and forth about it all, if you're looking for Jesus intentionally, searching for something but you're not sure exactly what, and all of these things, Jesus is with us, is with you. He says, I'm coming to your house today. He meets us with compassion and grace and life-saving, life-changing good news. When I am lonely and longing for others, my prayer is to remember that Jesus is ever-present, meeting me right where I am in all of my human beauty and messiness, that he has a blessed seat at my table. And that reminds me to have more grace and patience and love for myself and for others and for the world. We can remind ourselves of this good news that Jesus is with us in all kinds of tangible ways. We can do it through meal blessings, invoking his presence every time that we eat. Maybe it's reading a short verse of scripture as we rise and before we go to bed. I just ordered an art print that has the fruits of the spirit written out. We're going to hang it in our kitchen right by that breakfast room table. So we see it every day and remind ourselves of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the kicker, self-control. Still though, through faithful practices, through remembering Jesus is present with us no matter what, we're going to be lonely. We're, we're going to miss each other. We do miss each other. We miss that joy that comes with celebratory feasts or a quiet cup of coffee with a gentle friend. When we're angry, lonely, frustrated, grieving, out of control, when we feel like we and the world are unraveling, I think it can be a good and powerful time to ask what kind of spiritual work God is calling us to do. And is there perhaps some unraveling for the good that may be happening through it all? Fasting is a vital Christian spiritual discipline but it's one that we, it's definitely one that I don't practice nearly as much as the others. It kind of gets down at the bottom of my spiritual discipline list. Our other practices like prayer and scripture reading, worship and sacraments, they take more of my time and energy and attention. Fasting is traditionally an abstention from food. Some people do it for a day or for a season. 
What it does is remind us of our reliance on God each time we're hungry. And for those of us who find ourselves rarely hungry in our daily lives, to remember that so many in the world have this kind of physical hunger each and every day in our world and our own community. So this practice draws us closer to God and then it also draws us outward into our community, to our neighbors, to make a difference for those who don't have enough to eat. Fasting is also a discipline that could mean abstaining from anything that keeps us busy or distracted or redirects our desire for God to something else. And these days, a lot of people are taking on the practice of fasting from technology, maybe one day a week or for a week at a time, no phones or social media, email, mindlessly browsing through the internet. I'm starting to wonder what it might be like for us to see this time of the pandemic, the pandemics of the coronavirus, of racial injustice, of economic devastation, to see this as a time of fasting. Now, let me be clear, none of these are hardships that God chose or created for us to navigate. They're tragedies of human sin to circumstances beyond our control. But because we are here and God is here with us, Jesus is in our homes, what if we began to see this time as a spiritual discipline of fasting? It's not a discipline we choose, but it's one we're in nonetheless. And what if we say, okay, I'm lonely, I'm missing friends, and I'm missing church members, and I'm missing extended family around the table. What does this teach me about God? What does it teach me about my desires? How might I be more loving inward and outward when all of this is over? How might this time inform me to begin to more intentionally connect with people who are lonely all of the time or who don't have enough to eat each day? How might Jesus be bringing salvation to me, to the world? What if we say as a practice, okay, I can't be at church right now and celebrate communion around the altar table. That is painful and it is heart-wrenching. But if we let ourselves sit with that discomfort, we say, what does that tell me about my desires for God? How does it shape me inwardly and outwardly so that I may begin to invite people into church when I can, to have a renewed sense of my faith and what really matters on the other side, to share that with other people? What if we say, it's clear my kids can't be at school safely right now. Kids in our community can't be at school safely right now. Or the kids who are going to school are doing so in a vastly changed environment. And instead of spending all of our time complaining, though let's be real, it is hard, it is exhausting. What if we start to ask ourselves questions about why schools that are rich with funding can operate differently than schools that aren't, whose funding comes from a tax base of lower income housing, and meditate on how we might affect change on our world so that every kid has an equal opportunity. Because friends, there will be an end to this season, there will. We don't know when it's gonna be and that is maddening. We don't know what it's gonna look like and that is hard. But this season isn't forever. 
We're not going to be fasting forever. That's part of the point of this discipline. We trust that there are lessons and that there is joy and that there is salvation on the other side. Just look at that radical transformation that Zacchaeus made. Right now we are in this in-between time, which is hard. It makes us hungry and longing and looking desperately for Jesus. Let's see it as a time of asking big questions, redirecting our desires towards God, and recognizing that salvation is here and now Jesus is with us. This is our hope, even and especially when things are unraveling. If we recognize that Jesus is with us, if we are willing to encounter him, we and the world will never be the same. There will be an unraveling where everything is changed for the better. So friends, let us trust in this good news and let us work for that day when Jesus's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. May it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.